0: Well, Happy New Year. Almost. It's great to be with you as 2023 comes to an end. I'm sure you've had time to sit back and reflect on the blessings that God has given to you in this year. I'm sure there's many things that have come to your mind. One of the things that has come to my mind is uh, Branson Bible Church. Very thankful for this church and the part that it's had in our family for many, many years. Uh, We came here as a young married couple with no children and uh, had the opportunity to be here and raising our children in this church. And um, just, just really appreciate that, and now even later, to be able to come back and spend time here has just been a huge blessing. I trust that you've found that as well. It's so important to have a, a godly community to uh, go through our Christian life with, regardless of what stage of the life you find yourself in, as a support to you. So huge thanks to Pastor Jeff, who I think is finishing up his ninth year. Is that true? A senior pastor? And then almost that long uh, as an associate pastor before that. Let's thank the Lord for his leadership. He's a, an oldie, I guess, but a goodie, huh? Uh, and then um, Pastor Tolliver has been here since 1986. I don't think you want to raise your hand if you weren't born there, but uh, he's been here and Patty have been here for a long time as well. So just really praise the Lord for the blessing that they've been to this church and the leadership of this church and the healthy body they've been able to shepherd here for so many years and uh, just trust that the Lord will continue that in the new year and just uh, just thank the Lord for this church. I don't know if you remember the phrase shock and awe. Some of you will. Back in 2003, the U.S. military unleashed a campaign, and they called it Shock and Awe, on Iraq. And we were trying to take down at that time Saddam Hussein. And so the U.S. military assembled 250,000 allied troops on the border of Iraq, and then proceeded with a massive bombardment of Baghdad. And the idea was that uh, Iraq would be met with such overwhelming force, such shock and awe, which is a phrase that they were using at that time, both through the bombardment and then by the following up huge powerful invasion force that the Iraqi army would realize that this was hopeless and just roll up and give in and that there would be no hope in standing against such a powerful opponent. And so at that time, the administration was continuing to use that phrase, shock and awe, to uh, kind of get under the uh, skin, I suppose, and to get into the mind of the enemy. Back in 1945, we had a similar strategy when we unleashed two nuclear weapons on Japan at the end of World War II with the hope that the Japanese would be so overwhelmed with the absolute power of this new weapon, the atomic bomb, that they would realize it was not only useless to resist, but it could lead to their complete destruction. And the point of shock and awe is to very powerfully drive home the point that the status quo is going to change. A radical transformation is going to take place, so it's useless to try to hold on to the past. You can either submit to the new, or you can be destroyed. And when one becomes a believer and they become identified as a child in the family of God... The status quo cannot remain the same. And this is, this is wonderful because the status quo was that we were living in darkness and futility and on the trajectory to spend eternity under the wrath of God that we rightly deserved. And so to be moving from that status quo is quite a blessed thing, but also quite a frightening thing. As believers, we are being changed. We're told that we have been changed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And there is a huge element of shock and awe that goes with that. Making this transition into the family of God is a radical change. Fortunately, God does not use this same method for us, this sheer force to transform us. But make no mistake, there is a big change from the status quo, and it must happen. The Bible describes this transition transition as moving from darkness to light or moving from death to life. If there was a greater way to describe this, I'm sure the Bible would use those terms as well. The status quo, the way that things were, must change, and they must change completely for us to live worthy of our life in our new family. This is not to frighten us should not frighten us. This is what the Bible calls our great hope. And obviously, we are thankful that God does not unleash a campaign of shock and awe on us when we enter into the family, which forces us to be conformed in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, or be destroyed. If that was the terms that God used, it would be quite frightening to us. But neither does He lessen His awe or His majesty or his grandeur, or his holiness. He is the almighty God. He always has been, always will be. And now we're his children. How are we going to relate to this Holy Father? He is not going to change. He cannot change. So I think it's quite clear that someone is going to be changing. We're quite clear who that will be. Let's look in our Bibles here in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're looking at verses thirteen to twenty-one today. First Peter chapter one, verses thirteen to twenty-one. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, plus his bread of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We can title this section of the Bible that we're looking at today Hope and Awe. It's our great hope to be sanctified, to be made holy, so that we can live as children in the eternal presence of our Father, the one whom the four living creatures in Revelation 4 are scary enough, but they cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come, the awesome being who we call our Father. And this is our great experience. Hope to experience this full, re- full reality of thriving in God's presence as God's beloved children. And one of us, obviously, is going to need to change for this to work out. And that's what we'll be looking at today. Hope and awe. Let's open with the word of prayer. Father, as we come to you, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. That it might come through clear to us. That our hearts might be open to responding in a way that would be pleasing to you. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the previous section, we we're told that based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. This living hope is that we have security of eternal life in the family of God now and forever. And Peter then gives three commands in the section that we're looking at today, all related to living our lives as children in this new family. Verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, as obedient children. In verse 17, he says, if you call on him as father. So everything in this passage centers around living within our new family, and these are commands, three commands in this passage, and the whole passage centers around these three commands. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, therefore, based on your secure position in the family of God, as a child in the family of God, this is how you should conduct yourselves. The first command is found in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, there, there is a way that you must think now that you're a member of this new family. And he says, you need to set your hope. There's two other commands. We're told how we must act in the family. This is in verse 15. Conduct yourselves in holiness or be holy as obedient children is the second command. And a third command also about how we should act in the family. It tells us, conduct yourselves with reverent fear because of who your father is and because of the high cost that has been paid for your ransom. The first of these three commands, how we must think in the family is the primary one, is the one that, that everything else is going to also rest upon. And so as we enter 2024, you may have the need or feel the need to make some changes, some New Year's resolutions regarding the different areas of your life. There's things that you desire to change about yourself. But the real struggle in 2024 is going to be the exact same struggle that you experienced in 2023 your thinking. And our passage is telling us how to think. It starts out by telling us in this section that your natural thinking is ignorant. Nobody wants to hear those words, right? But that's what our passage tells us. Our thinking is dictated by our natural passions. These passions and desires lead to a futile way of living, it tells us in verse 18. They lead to a useless, vain without purpose, way of living. This is our natural thinking that leads to natural living. And we are born with these thoughts and desires that are enticing to us, that are appealing to us, but they produce nothing of substance. And this is the state of fallen humanity. Our forefathers, it says, they acted like this. They thought vain, empty thoughts. We have this same thinking pattern in the world around us. It is also... Prevalent in, our, in the, the world that we live in, vain, empty thinking, nothing has changed. So this vain way of thinking or this futile way of thinking leads to a futile, purposeless, empty way of living. But this is not to be the thinking pattern or the behavioral pattern of those who have been born to a living hope, to those who are members of God's holy family. And so we have these three commands. The first command, it says, how must one think in the family? And the answer is, set your hope fully on the grace of God that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This requires us to focus our mind on one day in the future, the day of Jesus Christ's revelation. It tells us this is how we are to focus ourselves as we go through this life. And as we strive towards that day with great hope, we read here, the reason that we are looking and focused and, and, and targeting that one day with our mind and with our thinking is because on that day, what will happen? It says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the redemption of Jesus Christ, because we know at that day, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we will be receiving grace. Grace. And you may thought, hey, I've already received grace. That's the whole basis of my salvation. That's the basis of my sanctification. That's how I live every day. And that is so true. But he is telling us about a future grace that we're looking on that is going to make the grace that we have already experienced like a small taste compared to what it is that he will be bringing on that day. And since that is the case, we look towards that day and we set our hope on that day. We're told that during Jesus' ministry that He set his face like a flint, or like a rock, towards Jerusalem. And the reason he did that was because he had unwavering determination to finish the mission that his father had given to him. And so we also are to face to, to set our face like a flint. He says, "Fix your hope. Make your unwavering determination and t- determination towards one place and one event the revelation of Jesus Christ, because it will be at that moment that we'll experience the flood of God's grace like we've never experienced before that will be sufficient to renew and cleanse and refresh and perfect everything. That's some pretty powerful grace, and that's where we're to fix our hope. Reminds us of Psalms 34, 8, that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we've experienced We have maybe tasted the grace of God, but you have not had the full meal by any means. And if you like the taste that you've experienced as a believer, then he tells us, then fix your eyes on the time when you receive the full unveiling of Jesus Christ himself and the grace that he brings with him at that time for those who take refuge in him. So hopefully the taste that you've already received is sufficient enough to persuade you that nothing else will satisfy in comparison to this. That you'll forego grasping onto anything else and looking for those things or anything else to satisfy you. I've tasted And now I fix my face like a flint. I will not be deterred. I will push forward. I will not close my hand or my fingers around anything less than this coming full grace of God that will be revealed at the coming of God, the finishing, completing grace. So we see ourselves, and the Bible presents us as pilgrims, as sojourners, as exiles who are just passing through this life. And it tells us that there is nothing worthy of fixing our hope on in this life. Well, how do we go about fixing our hope in this way that we're instructed to, we're commanded to here in this passage? Well, there's two supporting statements in verse 13. The first one, he says, prepare... So how is it that we we go about fixing our faith? These two supporting statements that are in verse 13 tell us how to do that. It says, prepare your mind for action. Some translations, or the literal translation is, gird up the loins of your mind. They changed it to prepare your minds for action, because we don't really talk about girding up anything anymore, (laughs) right? That's probably a good thing. But for the Roman audience uh, and for the Jewish audience, it made perfect sense to them because they wore long robes, and so to gird up your loins was to pull up your robe, Between your legs and around your your body and put it in your belt and tighten it so that your legs were free to move so that you could fight, so that you could run, so you wouldn't be hindered or tripped up by your rope. And so he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Metaphorically, prepare your mind for a fight. I hope you've experienced this, or I know you've experienced this. There is a fight for what to put your hope and your trust in. And it tells you that if you're going to obey the command that God has given to us, then you're going to have to gird up the loins of your mind. You're going to have to get yourself ready for a fight, and you're going to have to fight, or you're going to lose this battle before it even starts. There are many things for us to fix our hope on. And if we are not careful, we will succumb to one after another after another of those. Temporal, fleeting, unworthy things. And so he says, prepare your minds for action. Those with vain, empty, futile ways of thinking, our former life, they'll have all side kinds of suggestions about where to fix your hope. Your own natural flesh will have all kinds of great ideas about where you should fix your hope. You should fix your hope in being secure, because then from that place of security, you can do whatever. You should fix your hope on feeling happy. You should fix your hope on having a trouble-free and trial-free life to the best of your ability. You should fix your hope on reaching your full potential, on being your authentic self. You should fix your hope on expressing yourself freely. And on and on, there are all these different places that you could be tempted to fix your hope. It's a real fight, and so he says, gird up the loins of your mind, or you're going to lose this battle. The second thing he gives us, a second uh, supporting instruction about how it is that we can fix our hope well and correctly, is be sober-minded. Be serious. Be clear-minded. Be calm. Be unfaltering. Don't doubt. Don't waver. Don't be swept away by your culture or your natural tendency. Like a flint, keep your eyes and your hope fully set on Christ's return and the coming grace that he will be giving us at that time so that you can live worthy of your glorious place in God's family. If you lose this battle for your mind, where you fix your hope, We're told in verse 15 that you will be shaped into the mold of this world. Ignorant, futile, and even more serious, it says in verse 14, you will be a disobedient child to your Holy Father who commanded you to think differently than those who are not his children. I think we'd be more comfortable with this command to fix your hope except for one word in this sentence, this command, fix your hope fully or completely. The question is not, have you fixed your hope on the coming grace of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ? I'm sure we all have to some degree. The question is, have we fully, completely fixed our hope in this place? I'd encourage you to think through what that one word means, fully or completely. When we can come to that, maybe not uh, as well as we want, but when we can come to it and get a taste of what that actually means, it sets us free to love and to serve without being small and guarded and protecting and holding on to our stuff and holding on to our time and holding on to our family. And if we think about it, this one word fully Can make a radical change in the way that we live our lives it's a it's a word it's a concept that's worthy of meditating on fix your hope and then think about that word fully and completely and think what that would mean if you were to be completely obedient to what it says here commands two and three tell us how as family members we must now live if we got our thinking the way that it should be then this is how we should live. It's a new way of thinking which will produce a new way of living, a new purpose-filled way of thinking and living. How to act, he says, be holy like your father. We've been speaking about this phrase, shock and awe, or we've changed it to hope and awe. We've gone through the hope section. Now we're in the awe section. Awe at who God is. He, specifically, his holiness and what he has done—that he has redeemed us at great cost to himself. So the command here in this section is to be holy in all your conduct. Set apart. First Peter chapter one verse fifteen says, "Moved away." Verse fourteen: "Moved away from your former ignorance." Be holy. Be set apart. Be moved away from thinking, futile, worthless, vain, empty thoughts. Verse 18 talks about that we've been redeemed from our futile ways. We don't have to live that type of life. Be set apart, be holy, be away from that. When one becomes a member of God's family, they're taken away, they're set apart. This previous life that we formerly had, it talks about here in verse 14 had only self to serve, my security, my happiness, my authentic expression of myself. And therefore, it's an empty life. It's completely misdirected from the purpose which God created to glorify him. And so this previous life was worthless from God's perspective. And those who live this life that God gave them for themselves will one one day be eternally discarded by their maker as not only worthless, but wicked. And God will pour out his eternal wrath on them for taking what was designed to be sacred and using it for a common, meaningless purpose. But even as believers, we are drawn towards empty thinking and empty living. One day we'll stand before the Father and we'll get an account of our life, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 17. And the expectation is that we will have lived a holy life, one that marches to the beat of a different drummer, one that's hearing something different when we're thinking and then when we're acting, than what is happening around us in this world. God's holy character is revealed in God's holy word, and that stands in very stark contrast to the way of empty thinking and empty living. God's holiness is his most defining attribute. God is different. He is a being of substance in contrast to what we've been talking about. His children are commanded to reflect this substance, first in their thinking and then in their acting like God. this holiness is expressed in the word wholeness. We are commanded to express this same wholeness that our heavenly Holy Father does, such that all of our conduct, every aspect of it, is holy. Regardless how you look at God, you can hold him up this way, hold him up this way. He is pure, without sin, and he is righteous. He is a holy, separate, substantive, substantive, being. It doesn't matter how you look at it. He is holy, this. And we are commanded to be the same way in every aspect of our lives that we are to be living holy lives. Regardless of how one might take us and turn us and look at us, we should be seen as pure and righteous and holy. We don't have to be nervous or should we not live our life in such a way that if someone were to turn us slightly they would see something we wouldn't want them to see we want to live our lives wholly in such a way that however you turn us and look at us you will see a reflection of god i don't know if you've had the opportunity to look for a used car anytime recently but if you go to look for a used car uh, there's different things that you look at on this car right you you look at the tires you look at the brakes the best you can. You take it for a test drive. You listen to any weird sounds the engine might be making. You test the brakes. You see if it's gonna shutter at higher speeds when it's driving down the road. You you check the heater. You check the air conditioner. You might check the radio. You roll the windows all up and down. You check the locks. You look in the trunk. You're looking at the integrity of this whole car. Is this a car that I'd like to purchase? How has this car been maintained? And then you make a decision based on that examination. And the question that I'm asking you is if, if you were a used car and you were being judged by an impartial judge, how would that go? If that impartial judge was to ask about your maintenance records for your holy Christian life that you've lived here How would that go? You may say, but I I fall so short. You can't do that to me. That's too frightening, looking at it from all sides. Yes, we all fall short. But if we're living as obedient children, submitting to the revelation of God's holy word as we hear it and we read it, And submitting to the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, then there will be a transforming work of God in our lives, degree by degree, from one degree of holiness to another degree of holiness, as we take on the character, the glorious weight of our Father, and conform into the glorious, holy image of His Son. The idea is not that we make ourselves holy. But rather, as obedient children, we need to stop allowing ourselves to be conformed to empty and worthless worthless thinking and acting. And rather submit to the Holy Father, who is far different, who has given us his holy word to instruct us and in his Holy Spirit to empower us. So that we might bear the image of the Holy Father and the Holy Son in the very family that we have been brought into this is the only appropriate response for a child in this holy family. And this is what Peter is telling us. The third command, found in verse 17, conduct yourselves with reverent fear because of what you have been given. We have, as believers have been given life. When a believer uses the life that God has given them in a worthless, useless, vain, aimless way, as many people have done down through the centuries, then it means that they are ignorant. They either do not understand why they exist, or they are willingly ignorant, and they are rebellious. And they turn against God's plan for their creation, for their existence. They were created for a holy purpose, a set-apart purpose to glorify God. They either don't know that, or they know it and won't submit to it. They're ignorant. And not only was God, was man set apart for a holy purpose before the fall, but he has now redeemed us back to this holy p- purpose at great cost to his son. If you were to... Take all the gold and all the silver in the whole earth and pile it in a pile. It says that is not equal to the cost that Jesus had to pay to ransom us, to bring us, to redeem us back to a holy, set-apart, sacred purpose. And so it's against this backdrop of being created and ransomed for a purpose that God says that he will judge every one of our deeds. If an impartial judge will look at your every deed... How should you now conduct yourself in reverent fear knowing that this is right around the corner for every one of us? The, the command here is don't treat God's sacrifice to redeem you back to his holy place to this holy place and his holy family lightly. Rather be fearful and be in awe of God, what God was willing to do for you. Awe ah, in the sense of a constant state of being overwhelmed at who God is. Awe ah, when you read those passages in scripture like Isaiah chapter 1, where his great presence is there. And they're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Or Ezekiel chapter 1. Or Hebrews chapter 12 that tells us he's a consuming fire. Or Revelation 4 and 5. Those types of understanding of who God is should always be in our mind. That is who he is. He's a terrifying being in holiness and majesty. And the fear of the consequence of taking my holy life, positionally, what God has given me, and using it for a worthless, meaningless purpose, practically, should cause terror and fear within us if we understand who we are serving and what he has done, and what family he's brought us into, and who we are to reflect we're told in verse 20 that God made a plan with his son before the foundation of the world to redeem man back to himself. The plan required the son to leave heaven and all of his glory. Take on flesh of a man, be humiliated, die, carry all the weight of man's sin upon his own shoulders, then rising from the grave and returning to glory, the obedient son who has perfectly carried out the Father's will. And then he says, for the sake of you. Jesus suffered and died and then was raised to glory, trailblazing a path to take many sons to glory so that you could have confidence that you, will also experience this same glory. And so he says, for this reason, put your faith and your hope in God. We've already had Jesus come and live in obedience and accomplish all the work of this. And now he says that put your faith and confidence in him and him alone, that that will be this case for you as well. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it flippantly. Fearfully make your way through this life. Not an anxious fear but in fear and the awesomeness of what has been, you have been brought into and the extreme cost that God paid to make it happen. This passage is addressed to those who have already been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. But there may be some here today who have never realized that they're still living an empty, worthless life in the sense that God created you for a very specific purpose, to bring glory to himself. And somehow, along the way, you missed that. And rather, you have been quite self-focused. But as you listen to God's word, his holy word, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you about how empty this is, and you remember and you know, you've been taught, about the great love that God had when he sent his son to redeem you to himself, to bring you as sons and daughters into his glorious presence. The cost was extremely high, but it's freely offered to you as a gift of salvation. If there's anyone here today that finds himself that God is working in your heart as an unbeliever, as one who has never been redeemed, then I encourage you to, to take this time at the end of 2023 and make a drastic change and turn and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation so that you might be brought into this family and have this hope that we have been talking about this morning. For those who have believed, that's what we're talking about in this passage, 21 makes that clear, who through him are believers in God. He's talking to believers. As you enter this new year, as we enter this new year tomorrow, you may Determine that you may need to make some changes in your life. Maybe you feel like you need to change your diet or your exercise or your sleep habits or your free time. Maybe you need to jumpstart your spiritual life with some godly disciplines. And as beneficial as these all are, and they are, they are only aspects of the challenge of what we're looking at here in 1 Peter chapter 1, the command to focus your thinking, to set your hope fully on the finishing grace of God. If you will obey the command that's here in 1 Peter chapter 1 about fixing your hope on the coming grace of God, then all these other positive, beneficial changes will come into place. You'll be driven forward in these because they're the natural outflow of living to please the Lord. So let us not resolve to set our hope on anything short of this finishing grace, our blessed hope. The completion of our salvation when we look to being raised and glorified as jesus was who is the pioneer and finisher of our faith and so the challenge that we leave here is three commands but we go back to our thinking because this is where it actually stems from fix your hope fully on the finishing grace of god and don't turn aside to the left or to the right or close your fingers on anything short of this grace And until that day happens, be obedient to these commands about how to think and how to live and how to conduct yourselves. So let us continue in our time here on this world. Hopefully we'll have many more years to live. Serve the Lord, praise him. Let us continue in hope and awe, hope in the coming grace of God, fixed hope, face like a flint. I will not lose my fight for my mind. Because if I lose the true calibration for my thinking, then every other decision will be out of calibration as well. So gird up the loins of your mind. Everything is at stake. And secondly, awe at being a child in God's holy, eternal family. Carefully keeping in mind the place of great substance and great glory that you have in a family of infinite substance. And then, as we think about these things, let us live accordingly. Let us live in a way that is reflective of this substance. Let us be holy. Let us move away from empty and vain. And let us move towards substance and holiness and reverence and bringing glory to him in all that we do and all that we say and all that we think. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us not be ignorant. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be able to think through these things wisely, with wisdom in contrast to ignorance or rebellion, if that may be the case, and that we would put our hope where you've commanded, that we would live as you have commanded, and that we would leave behind the vain and the empty and the worthless and the purposeless and that we would move towards the purpose for which we were created and redeemed for that we would bring great honor and glory and substance and praise and worth to you in your son Jesus name we
1: pray amen God is so different so unique so holy as Brady was talking about today or Young people say, he different. (laughs) God is something else altogether. And we're so far from him. Everything in us and from us is insufficient to be restored to God, to be in his presence. And yet God gave Jesus Christ to be sufficient so that we can be right with him. Do you wanna have that hope? repent and believe the gospel and believers. What an amazing thing it is to get to be different because Christ has made us something different to focus our hearts and our minds on him. I trust that you'll leave here this morning, remembering that your hope is only Jesus. continue to draw near to him so that he'll conform us into his image, that we'll conduct ourselves like Jesus, looking forward to him bringing us home. Let's close in prayer. Father, we gratefully worship you, the triune God, father, son, and spirit. We thank you for your perfect plan and Jesus finishing what was necessary to bring us into relationship with you. We thank you for Jesus as he was exalted to then give his people the presence of your spirit. We thank you just for the privilege of being in you. We thank you for the, the confidence and the courage and the hope that we have because of what you do in us and for us and what you can do through us. Father, we thank you for this hope, and we pray that we will be different as our Father and our Lord and the Spirit in us is different. Heavenly Father, bless your people as they go from here to be your church dispersed. In Christ's name we ask it.